This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Gillian Cantor, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. So you're in Arizona, in Tucson? Yes, I am. Yes. And we've really got a very good line, crystal clear, actually. Uh, Jill is the internationally best-selling author of 10 novels for adults and teens, including In Another Time, The Hours Count, Margot and The Lost Letter. Her books have been translated into 13 languages and chosen for Amazon Best of the Month, Library Reads and Indie Next. Uh, this is her latest novel that we're talking about. It's called Half-Life and it's a brilliant sliding doors reimagining of the passionate life of the first woman to win a Nobel Prize. And that was, would you say Marie? Marie Curie. Curie, yeah. Yeah, Marie Curie. And the life that she might have led had she chosen love over science. Do you know, when I was reading this, you can't help think of your own life because we all make choices like that, don't we? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think about that in my life all the time. You know, what if I had done this instead of this? Where would I be right now? (laughs) What about if I'd taken this job and not that job? What about if I had not met this fellow versus that fellow and Mm -hmm. all those sorts of things, right? Okay, so it's really interesting. I mean, she's such an incredible woman. And, you know, I mean, she's always been, you know, known to me, of course, um, what two Nobel Prizes that Marie won. But I don't know very much about her. So firstly, Talk to me about her and how the idea of this book came. Sure. So, you know, like you said, I didn't really know that much about Marie Curie, just sort of the basics. I knew she discovered radium. I knew she won two Nobel Prizes. And I had read an article about her a few years ago, but it was talking about her personal life. And that's sort of what drew me into her. Even though she did all these amazing things in her career, you know, she had these enormous personal tragedies that sort of offset that and that she had to overcome again and again. And so that's what really first drew me to her. You know, initially I was just going to write a straight biographical novel about her and I actually started that way and I had about 50 pages and I sent it to my agent um, and she read it and she said something along the lines of, this is fine, but this doesn't feel like a book you would write. (laughs) And I think she was referring to the fact that I always sort of like to think about the what if aspects. You know, I've, I've written a novel about Anne Frank's older sister, Margot, and what would have happened if she had lived and had, you know, seen what had happened to her sister's diary. And I've written a novel about Ethel Rosenberg from the point of view of a neighbor. And so I am sort of always going for that what if angle. And I couldn't stop thinking about this one thing that I read in the initial article, and that was that the real Marie had been engaged in Poland. Um, She was working as a governess at the time. She wanted to earn money to move to Paris so she could get her education. And in Poland, women were not allowed to be educated at the time. Uh, But she fell in love with the oldest son of the family she was working for. They secretly got engaged. His mother 
made him break up with her when she found out because she said Marie would never be good enough for her son. And just like, imagine that, you know, as a mother <laughs> saying Marie Curie is not good enough for my son. And it was all about social class at the time, but I still, I couldn't get that out of my head. So when he broke up, up with her, she did then move to Paris and, you know, she went to the Sorbonne and she met Pierre and she discovered radium. But I kept thinking, well, what if she had married this guy? And I had also read something that said later in life, after she died, there was a statue erected of her in front of her institute in Poland. And he used to go sit there every day and eat his lunch and stare at the statue. And so, you know, and, and he did great things in his life. Who did that? What, oh, Casimir's the man she almost married. Right. Um, so I thought, you know, was it regret? Did he think about her? You know, he had a pretty accomplished life. He got married. But I still could not stop thinking about that one tidbit. And I kept thinking, well, I have to find a way to get this into the story. And then I realized, wait, maybe this is the story. You know, what would have happened if she had married this man? Um, and how would not only her life have been completely different, but science and the world and her sisters and Pierre Curie. Um, so that was sort of the starting point for it. Mm-hmm. So she had two children, didn't she? She did. She had two children. Um, Irene, who also won a Nobel Prize, and became a scientist, followed in her mother's footsteps. And Eve was her younger daughter. She wanted nothing to do with science, much to Marie's disappointment. As she became a concert pianist and then a writer. Oh, how and disappointing she, to be! I know she was the only member <laughs> of the family not to win a Nobel Prize, but her who husband did win a Nobel Peace Prize. So she sort of like did keep it in the family a little bit. All <laughs> oh, right. Who wants to be a writer, right? <laughs> but I actually. Eve wrote a biography of her mother that I felt was sort of my most helpful research tool, I think, because I'm not a scientist, you know, I'm a writer and here's Eve is a writer and she wrote about her mother. And so I really felt like I could just understand the terms she used and the way she talked about the science. And it was also just really interesting to read such a close perspective, uh, you know, from Marie's daughter too. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I've got a real curiosity for science. I've got this friend of mine who lives in France and I always call him dial a friend when it comes to science questions because he (laughs) subscribes to science magazines and I'm Uh kind of more a generalist, but I have a curiosity for it. Did you have that? Or was it more about the person? Yeah, no. To be honest, I really, I really didn't. I have, I, I keep saying as I'm talking about this book that chemistry was one of my least favorite subjects in school, <laughs> and it was more to me about Marie as the person, and also I really can relate to how passionate she was for her work. You know, not the science itself, but the fact that she was so driven and so passionate to to do this thing in spite of every obstacle in her way. And I feel that way in my own life, but about writing. So I could relate to that drive that she had. Um, but I am, I am not a scientist. I mean, I did I actually did learn a lot of interesting stuff for this book, but it just was never a subject that I was drawn to growing up. Do you know, I often wonder when people write about uh, historical characters, do you get a sense of whether you like them or not? Like, how do you, what's that relationship with Marie? I mean, how do you feel about her? Yeah, I mean, I felt a very, such a deep respect for her. You know, she, she did, she did so much that was so impossible as a woman, as a scientist. She was, you know, she had two daughters and she was, she had to figure out the, the balance between being a mother and working, I think, like many of us do with children. But I don't know if we would have been friends. I mean, that's an that's an interesting question. I think Maria, my fictional character, I might have been friends with her more than Marie. Mm. And why do you think that is? 
you know, I think Marie was very much about her work and I wouldn't have been able to converse with her about science. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was, she was very, it was very interesting even to read her letters, you know, when she was pregnant, she would write to her family and she would just talk about her condition and how annoyed she was by it. Um, and everything was about the work for her. And, and I really respect and admire that, but I don't think we would have had that in common. I don't think we would have been friends. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's go back to you. Uh, Gillian, and tell me how your writing career started. Where did you grow up and when did you start thinking, oh, I think I might be a writer? Sure. I, so I grew up in uh, outside of Philadelphia, suburb of Philadelphia, um, and I was always a big reader as a child. I was reading constantly, everything in sight. I used to beg my mom to take me to the library. My mom took me to the library all the time, but it, it was like I wanted to go every day. <laughs> And I think we were only allowed to check out 10 books from our library at the time. And I would check out my 10 and I would read them and it would be like two days later. And I'd be like, can we go back to the library again? So I was always reading. Um, when I was in uh, fourth grade, I had a teacher who assigned us to write a short story every week all year. That was just our ongoing assignment. So that was my oh. first sort of brush with fiction and I loved it. And I told everyone I was going to be a writer, you know, when I was nine years old. Um, and then I sort of forgot about it for many years. And when I was in college, I did, I majored in English. I thought that I was going to be a journalist and I worked for a newspaper for a little while and just hated it. I think it was the summer after my sophomore year in college, I had an internship at a paper and I was so bored. And I kept thinking, this is not the kind of writing I like to do. I want to make things up. And so then when no, I went to that, yeah, no, you can't do that when you're writing about, I was writing about school board meetings, I think all summer. <laughs> um but when I went back to college that fall, I took my first fiction writing class. So it was probably about 20 the first time I, you know, I seriously thought about writing fiction. Um, and then I did go to graduate school for fiction and got my MFA. And I've been, you know, I've been writing ever since then. Mm-hmm. So when was your first book published? My first book was published in uh, 2009, I believe. Right. And tell me how that came about. And I mean, that's not easy, right? Yeah, no, no, it was definitely not easy. Um, I had written a a novel, gosh, probably in, I want to say in like 2003, I think I finished writing this novel. And I tried to get an agent for a while and I could, you know, I just couldn't connect I couldn't get an agent. I had a baby in 2005 and I put the book down and I really, I just thought, well, I'm not going to write anymore. You know, I'm going to do something else. And I think it was around the time my son first started talking. And one day it just occurred to me, he was going to ask me what I did. And I was going to have to tell him that I was a failed writer and I didn't want to say that. So I thought, well, I have to take this book out again. So I revised it again. You know, I went out to look for an agent again. I finally did uh, get my agent in 2006. And then it took her, I think, like two years to sell the book. Um, But then it finally came out in 2009. So and I've been with the same agent ever since. So once we connected, it was a very good relationship. But it was it was definitely a struggle to get there in the beginning. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Did you have a fullback? In terms of a career? Oh, I did. So I did actually get my real estate license when I was pregnant with my son. And then I was just going to sell real estate. And yeah, which I never actually did, but I did get my license. (laughs) (laughs) At least you had something. (laughs) Writing books, selling houses, I can't see. Usually I can find a thread, but I can't find a thread between those. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I think I just like, I like to watch a lot of HGTV. So I thought I'll just get my real estate license. (laughs) Um, Talk to me about the discipline of writing because I speak to a lot of people who, um, uh, you know, can't even write full time. They still need a job Mm. to support the writing. Uh, Tell me about you and your discipline and your experience with that. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do write full time. And actually, I was, I was teaching. I mean, I should say that too. I was teaching classes part time at the time. And so um, I was teaching still until about um, probably seven or eight years ago. And I've been writing full-time since then. So I do very much, you know, it is my full-time job. So I treat it like my full-time job. I do write every day, um, usually between like eight and three when my kids are in school. And it's just, you know, if it's a job, it, it is my job. I love to do it, but it is my job too. And it's how I make money. And so I, I just have to sit down every day and do it. Um, And when I'm writing a a draft, you know, I'm pretty disciplined about how much I have to write every day. Like I'll give myself a goal. I'll say, you know, five pages every day. And if it takes me 12 hours to write those five pages or two hours to write those five pages, and then I can go do something else. But I just, I really stick to that. And, you know, I have a schedule. Um, And so I'm, I'm pretty good with that part of it, I think. Mm. All right, talk to me more about this novel because it is uh, it's an unusual novel. Uh, it's called Half-Life because very often when I talk to writers, they talk to me about how the, the story is in their head. It's all consuming, you know, even mm-hmm. difficult pen to paper. But this one's a little bit more complex because you've got several stories going on, haven't you? Talk to me about yes. that. Yeah, I, de- I definitely, I don't normally outline when I write. I normally have a sense of the beginning and the middle and the end, and I sort of like write in that direction and figure it out. But this book, I definitely needed to outline. It was very complicated. There were two storylines side by side, these two women spanning about, uh, you know, 40, 50 years. So before I started, I did sit down and I wrote out every single year that was going to be a chapter in the book. And I figured out where each woman was going to be and who they were going to be with. So I had sort of this sense of an outline before I started that I relied very heavily on as I was writing. And and it was, I, I keep saying it was like doing a puzzle the whole time I was writing 
but it was like a million piece puzzle and all the pieces were on my dining room table and I didn't know where anything went at first because there were so many characters that were in both stories, but they were ultimately different people in each story because of her one choice. And so it was complicated to keep track of, you know, which version of Pierre am I writing today and um, which version of her sister am I writing about? But it was also really fun. And it was, it was such a challenge to me as a writer that I just enjoyed doing it every day. And I was definitely living in the world. I mean, my family always knows when I'm writing a draft, like I'm only half there in the real world. (laughs) Did you ever get the characters mixed up? Like, did you edit edit her at some point when she was going through the first draft or he was going through the first draft Mm -hmm. say, you know, actually, no, that's Pierre back then, or that's Marie now. Um, Did that happen? I I don't, not at the point when it got to my editor. I mean, I did definitely revise it before I sent it to her. I'm trying to remember if I did. I wrote the novel in the order that you read it. So I had it alternating chapters. I wrote it that way. But then when I revised it, I revised each woman's story separately. So I think when I pulled it out at that point, I did catch if I made any of those mistakes. I think, I think there were a few times where like a character said something that he wouldn't, or she wouldn't have known in one story and knew in the other. And I did, I did catch that but I definitely looked for that you know before I sent it to my editor so I I hope I fixed it all (laughs) oh I'm sure you you (laughs) didn't pick up on any of that but I just wondered in the writing that that might might have been a bit complex um so the book really talks you know I mean it's it's fiction it's beautifully told it's a sliding doors moment but it is about a real life character and you've obviously done your research but it is a subject that is very very topical gender. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting how relevant it is mm-hmm. today, like interesting and sad. You know, Marie had to fight for so many opportunities because she was a woman and she was turned away from so much because she was a woman. Um, and I actually, I just read a few weeks ago, this really fascinating article in the New York Times about the woman who basically invented the mRNA vaccines. And her, did you, I don't know if you read that, but I her did. story just reminded me so much of Marie's story. You know, she was told no so many times and she kept on having to switch labs and nobody really wanted to fund her research because they didn't believe in it. Uh, And it was, it was so much what Marie went through all these years later. Um, I I think I cried when I read the article and it was like, it was a beautiful article too. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, and really inspiring piece, but Her story does feel relevant today, not just in science, but I think in everything. Um, And it's amazing to see how much Marie achieved at a time where women really were, you know, thought of as second class citizens. You know, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things I thought about was how many women would there have been like Marie that didn't, that took the other path, right? Right. Right. I, I, yeah, because I think that's what they were encouraged to do. So she had this, she had to sort of fight against society's expectations to get there. Yeah. And I, and you know, I think that happens even now, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Always funny. I was listening to a podcast recently where um, Julia Gillard, uh, she's the ex, she was an Australian prime minister um, who was treated appallingly um, because of her gender. Um, But anyway, she was talking to Madeleine Albright. And it was a wonderful conversation. If you get a chance, have a listen to the podcast. But they were talking about 
uh, Madeline being in an all-male environment. And she said, and I thought this was really interesting and probably relevant to you as well, that the difference between that she noticed that was so stark at the time um, when she was working in a virtually an all-male environment is men have had the privilege of thinking about one idea for a very long time, Mm. right? Whereas women thought about a million things all of the time. And it's so true, isn't it? It, it, it's really true. And I mean, I, I see that even being a woman and being a writer and being, and being a mother, a being yeah. a wife. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, that's perfectly put. It was, it was really, do you know, it, it was almost like a light. I mean, I knew it, but it was also a light bulb moment for me. I thought, oh God, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know that that's true for, you know, um, and yeah. is it, you wonder whether it's biological or whether it's environmental. We've been doing it for so long that that's just what we do. And then you go back, you know, the conversations in Australia at the moment, and I'm sure they're the same in the US is, you know, why are women um, in say in painting only represented in the painting, but not the painter. And, you know, when you look at literature, you know, it was mainly men that were being published and, but was it because they had the privilege of doing that and you you know you even talk about that with Marie in the book that you know Mm -hmm. she had to be to push a lot away to actually stay focused on that one subject right yeah it's true and and I think with her too the world and the press you know they got very invested in her personal life and she you know she had an affair and it was a huge scandal and of course it didn't it wasn't a scandal for the man it was a scandal for her and she was just just aghast by that. Um, but I don't know that that's any better today. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I don't, know, I don't think it is any better today. And that's what's it's just so amazing about fiction. And you talk about the fact that you're thinking about writing a nonfiction book, but you ended up writing a fiction book. But the truth in fiction is astounding, right? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Okay, so what are you working on next? Um, so I just I just finished. It's coming out in the U.S. in January. It's called Beautiful Little Fools, and it's a reimagining of The Great Gatsby, but from the women's points of view. Okay. So it's Daisy and Jordan and Myrtle, um, and it's sort of like Big Little Lies meets The Great Gatsby because it's the women's perspectives before, during, and after, but it also is connected to Gatsby's murder itself. Yeah, wow. So do you put out a book a year? No, not always. <laughs> but in, yeah, and this this time I am. Half-Life got pushed uh, back a little bit. Um, and then, so this is going to be a book a year. But yeah, not because always. Of COVID. Well, initially, I think we pushed it because of the election in the U.S. And okay. Um, yeah, and, and so, so there was some time after Half-Life was done before it came out when I was already writing the next one. Right, okay. Well, Gillian, thank you so much for your time. I'm really itching to get over to the US and I'm hoping that that might oh, happen. Thank you time. for having me. I'd love to come to Australia. Yeah. Have you been actually? <laughs> I haven't, but I really want to. Yeah. Do you know, um, we've got the Sydney Writers Festival and that often attracts a lot of international visitors like yourself. But this year is going to be on All Australian Affair, which is great, but I used to love the, the overseas visitors. Uh, so hopefully we'll get back to that one. Yeah, day. hopefully we're going to get back to that someday. All right. Well, you look after yourself and thank you so much for a great conversation. All right. You too. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au.
podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.